We'll go from there. But if you have your Bibles today, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and welcome to our seventh and our final week of our stand series where we have been walking through some of the book of Daniel. And we have called this series Stand because through the book of Daniel we see followers of God standing um, in their faith, standing for God. We see God's plans and purposes forever standing. And then through this book, we... You and I are being called to take our stand in the middle of God's plans and purposes that have never and will never fail. And this morning we come to probably one of the most well-known events in the Old Testament and maybe even in the Bible, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. If you grew up in church, you remember the flannel boards and um, the pictures of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and fire and all those things, which is a, I mean, it's really an intense story to be telling kids when it comes down to it, but for some reason, we do it anyway. Kind of like us and um, Noah's Ark, nothing like telling kids a, an amazing story about God destroying everything, um, but, but yet we, we do. But, you know, I'm guessing that none of us have ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, as just one of these guys in a fiery furnace. So none of us have ever heard Shadrach and this. I mean, all of every point of Scripture, these three are a unit. We talk about them together like we would the Blue Man Group or the Three Stooges. I mean, it's, you can't just have one of them. We have to keep them all together. And what we know is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, these three men, like Daniel, stuck to their principles despite accusations brought against them um, from sniveling officials of King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, as we talked about in week one, their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, their names respect, respectfully mean um, Yahweh has shown grace, who is what God is, and Yahweh has helped. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, names given to them mean command of Aku, which is, of course is a Babylonian god, who is what Aku is, and servant of Nabu, another Babylonian god. And although new names were given to these men, they without a doubt chose to identify with their given names, and they found their identity in God alone. So they basically said, you can call us whatever you want to, but we know who we are. We are God. So when we are first introduced to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 1, they're being enticed by the ways of Babylon. They're being given new identities. When we see them again in chapter 3, which we come to today, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer after their identity. He is now after their worship. So he is now seeking their worship. And these three men are now forced to declare their true allegiance. And just think about that word, Allegiance. This is a word that we don't hear often in today's world, even though all of us or most of us grew up um, pledging allegiance to the flag every day at school. Um, and we know that the pledge is meant to be a symbol of devotion and commitment, a staple of alignment as people to a country and a promise to stand with that country no matter what is a picture of allegiance. And in the same way, yet also in a more encompassing and a more important way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, pledged their ultimate allegiance to God. Despite being taken captive by the Babylonians, despite being ordered to worship something other than God, they stood firm, which is where we're going today. Today is a picture of what it means to stand 
firm. They knew that no, that no matter the consequences, their heart belonged to God and they would not bow their knee. They would not express any allegiance other than to one alone, almighty God. And I'm going to throw some questions out this morning that I pray that we wrestle with during our time together. And those questions are this. Will we stand firm in our convictions in the midst of a shifting world that has few convictions? You know, we live in a shifting world. Things are constantly changing and few convictions. Will we stand um, firm in our worship of God in a world that teaches us to worship ourselves? To worship ourselves and ourselves alone. Will we stand firm in our commitments to God even if the worst things, even if dreadful things, even if unwanted things come into our lives? Will we stand firm? So I want us to turn now to the Word and for the last time take our stand in the book of Daniel. We're going to kind of um, begin halfway through or, or kind of... Um, towards after everything has happened, after the command has been given for them to bow, and um, they refuse, and we're going to begin at verse 13. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. Beginning at verse 13, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace." Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was, aston was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the Prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, and there, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and Lord, even though we take on today a very familiar event in scripture, one that we have heard many, many times. We pray that our familiarity with this event, Lord, would not prevent us from hearing, oh God, what you would have us to hear, seeing God, what you would have us to see, feeling God, what we need to feel, responding the way we need to respond. Lord, help us as your people to stand firm in the midst of this world. Help us, God, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did to, Lord, in advance to determine who our allegiance lies with, where, where our allegiance lies, who we will serve. Help us to even say as Joshua, as we read this week, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just speak to us, O God, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may be seated. So kind of moving from here on out, I'm going to try to refer to King Nebuchadnezzar as King Nebi because it's just quicker that way. So what we know is that King Nebi set up this image 90 feet tall, um, nine, nine feet wide, covered with gold from head to toe. Um, it, sometimes people have said it looked like probably like a missile on a launching pad or maybe like the Washington Monument. Yet regardless, the image was supposed to be worship. It was an image of worship. Let me give you a side, little side note. Did you know that the Statue of Liberty, so we know that. Did you know that it's a depiction of the Roman goddess Libertas? You know, um, think about that. And of course, we're not, or very few people would probably ever worship the Statue of, of Liberty. It's, but it's not too much to say that if we are not careful, we can have a radical allegiance to self or to independence in a way that can become a form of idolatry in this world. Meaning that it can, it's often very ironic that freedom can actually enslave us. And instead of using our freedom for the Lord, we use our freedom for ourselves. Which is why Paul said in Galatians, do not use your freedom to serve yourself, but use your freedom to serve one another. Therefore, we, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will have will have idols presented to us again and again and again. And the urging is the same. Bow down, bow the knee, trust completely, anchor your life to this, whatever this is. Yet when it came time for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down and worship the golden image, these men remained standing. It's been estimated, get this, that the head count at this assembly could have been as many as 300,000, with people coming from all over the vast Babylonian empire. So just think about this, when the orchestra played, 299,997 attendees hit the ground and bowed before this image, all except for three. If you're in a crowd of 300,000 people and all of them bow down to the ground except for three, you're going to stick out. You're, you're going to stick out. You're going to stand out of the crowd. Yet amazingly, there was no 
fanfare. There was no outburst of protest. There was just a quick act of civil disobedience that could not go unnoticed. Quickly, of course, the enemies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sprung into action. They went to King Nebi, and they tattled on um, these three. I mean, just think about the, these tattletales that go to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, guess what we know? Um, guess who did this? Guess who did that? And they, they come, and they tattle, and Nebi is in a furious rage, is what we read in Scripture. And the king commanded that these men be brought in and be given one more chance, which is crazy, and it shows you that King Nebi had had previous encounters with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and had respect for them. That's the only way that we can um, acknowledge or get through the fact that they were given a second chance. King Nebuchadnezzar was not a man who gave anyone a second chance, yet he gave these three a second chance to bow. Then he asked the, the key question of this entire event, and that question is this, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Who is the God? In other words, if you are so foolish as to ignore my gracious offer, who is going to save you? Who will save you? Nebuchadnezzar's question indeed is the question of the ages, which is this. Who is the God who will deliver? Who is the God who will deliver? What God will deliver you? What God will deliver me? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get this, they were glad he asked the question. I could see them saying, we're glad you asked. We've been waiting to answer this question for a long time because this is a question we've settled in our hearts, a long time ago, brothers and sisters, if you do not in advance choose who your allegiances are with and who you will bow the knee to and who you won't, and you're waiting to get put in a situation to determine, normally it won't work, work out well for you. We need to, in advance, um, know where our allegiance lies. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's the deal. If challenged to worship the gods of this world and be praised or to worship the one true and living God and be burned to crisp, they said, we'll take God. We will take God. And here's the beauty. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't say, if you can just give us some time to pray about it and we'll get back with you. They didn't have to fast about it. They didn't go to Facebook and post and say, um, here's what we're being asked to do. Can you please give us some um, Give us your opinions on what we should do. None of that. Why? Because they had a predetermined plan, and their plan was, regardless of what happens, we obey God. That was their plan. We obey God. And in this moment, obedience to God led to a furnace. I think of the words of Charles Spurgeon, who was the 19th century prince of preachers, and he said this, and this is kind of where we're going this morning. He said, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Christ Jesus. You must go into the furnace if you're going to have the nearest and dearest dealings with Christ Jesus. So here's where we're going today. God doesn't always keep us from the fire. Instead, he comes to us and stands beside us in the fire. God will show us... Here's, God will show us his power in all kinds of different ways throughout our lives, but God will show us his presence more intimately and more powerfully when we are in the fire, when we are walking through difficulty. For in the fire, we are reminded where our protection comes from. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to, in the time that we have remaining, unpack three truths that will help us, I pray, stand firm in the midst of the world that we live in, but also in the midst of the fire 
in the midst of the furnace, in the midst of the tribulations and difficulties that we will walk through. So truth number one is this. God has not promised to spare us from the fire. Let me say it again. God has not promised to spare us from the fire. Let's first hear the words of Jesus in John 16, 33. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have difficulty. In this world, you will have trouble. And then listen to the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verses 17 and 18, what we just read. And I kind of condensed it. But they said, our God is able to deliver, but if not... Be it known that we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, let's be honest. As we say oftentimes, church is a really good place to be honest. Most of us, if we were to be honest, we would have to admit that one time or another, we have secretly wished that we could find some obscure verse in the Bible that read something like this. Thus says the Lord, if you trust in me, you will never again endure hardship. You will never again face adversity and pain. Instead, your days will overflow with ease and blessings. And oh yeah, all your chocolate will be calorie free. I mean, we, don't we wish we could find that verse in scripture somewhere? Some of you right now are going, it's got to be there. It's, it's got I mean, We wish we could find that. Yet the truth is, God has never promised to shield us from trials. Why would he when he didn't exempt his only son from them? Brothers and sisters, why would we as servants expect a privilege that our Savior didn't receive? In our day, listen, we know that being a Christ follower is hard. If we're truly following Christ, meaning if we're submitting to him, if we're following him, if we're praying, if we're asking for his continued guidance, if we are denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him, he is going to eventually ask us to do something that we don't want to do. Let me say that again. That got two amens. Jesus will eventually ask you and me to do something we don't want to do. If your Savior has never asked you to do anything that you don't want to do, then chances are your Savior is yourself. Chances are. I'm just, just throwing it out there today because Jesus will eventually to ask us. For sometimes Jesus will lead us into the fire. And he most definitely asks us and expects us to trust him enough to follow him into the unknown, into scary places, even into hot and fiery places. But his intent is not to harm us brothers and sisters his intent is to use the furnace for his purposes even to burn things away understand this the only thing that burned up on Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were the bonds the ropes that were put on them in order to keep them from being free and brothers and sisters in the midst of the fire there are things that our God wants to burn up that will allow us to serve him more freely to walk with him more freely to surrender ourselves to him more freely, that we can't have that freedom unless we go through that fire. So now, now these men, of course, most, most certainly, they could have reasoned in their hearts and they could have said some things like this. Why does God deserve our allegiance? Or um, where was God when King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem? Where was God when Nebuchadnezzar or Nebi took us from Jerusalem to Babylon? Or if God didn't intervene then, why do we think he's going to intervene now? They could have reasoned and thought these things, but they didn't. We have no indication that they did. Instead, they believed that the Lord could deliver them. They looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, He's going to deliver us from you. We don't know how, 
but he's going to deliver us from you. And they also acknowledged the possibility that maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't. They essentially said to, to King Nebi, you may destroy our bodies, but God has redeemed our souls. We're his. There's nothing you can do to us. We are his. And please don't skip over the phrase in verse 18. You might want to circle it in your Bibles. That phrase is this, but if not. Some versions say this, even if. I love that phrase, even if. Even if. Here's what I know. Unfortunately, the phrase is oftentimes in our minds and on our lips in the midst of difficulties, or even when we're thinking about the future, it's not even if, but what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this comes into my life? What if that comes into my life? What if this leaves? What if that leaves? And we as Christians are tossed all over the place by what if, what if, what if, what if. And let me just make you feel better. It's not new. These questions are all over the Bible. Moses, when standing before God, said, what if the people won't listen to me? Abraham's servant, when Abraham sent him to find a wife for Isaac, said, what if she won't come with me? Or Joseph's brothers, what if, after our dad died, what if Joseph wants to get revenge on us? And there's others. All of them wonder what would happen if circumstances go against what we want it to be. In the same way we often do. What happens if we don't get our way? What happens if God doesn't give us what we want? What happens if God doesn't do what we want him to do or answer the prayers the way we want him to answer? What if, what if, what if, what if? Thankfully, brothers and sisters, there's a better way. There's a better way to live. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not love God for what God did for them. They loved God because of who he was to them. Who he was to them. They were not guaranteed deliverance, but they were not paralyzed by the what ifs either. In their hearts, they would trust God even if. They would not ask what if the worst happened. They would say, even if the worst happens, God will take care of us. Even if, even if, even if they had God. And brothers and sisters, so do we. So do we. Even if we have him. I love the ESV study Bible's notes on verse 18. It says this, there was no doubt in the three men's mind as to God's power to save them. Yet the way in which God would work out his plan for them in this situation was less clear. God's power is sometimes extended in dramatic ways to deliver his people as when he parted the Red Sea for Israel out of the way of Egypt. At other times, the same power is withheld and his people are allowed to suffer. Either way, they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Brothers and sisters, God has not promised to spare us from the fire, which leads us to truth number two. God has promised to be with us in the fire. God has promised to be with us in the fire. So in response to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's insolence and rebellion, King Nebi burned with rage, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. Now that phrase, seven times hotter, is more likely a proverbial expression, which means as hot as you can possibly make it. So possibly what he was saying is this, make it as hot as you can make it for these guys are going to learn what happens when you disobey me. So Nebi ordered the strongest of soldiers to bind the hands, to bind up the bodies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the furnace. And the furnace was so hot that the soldiers throwing these three men 
into the furnace, died instantly. Get this, not in the furnace, but outside the furnace. Then King Nebi and his pagan leaders set back, kind of like in a, in a football stadium, ready to watch a very quick human barbecue. And they were watching, waiting to see what was going to happen. And what happened next completely took them by surprise. For when you read verses 24 and 25, it says this. And King Nebi said or declared, did, not, or did we not cast three men bound in the fire? But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So when Nebi looked in the furnace, he saw four men instead of three. And he said the fourth was like an appearance, one like the son of gods. And then again in verse 28, he says, like an angel. Which isn't bad, it's not a bad guess for someone who was a pagan polytheist, um, which is what he was. So not a bad guess, but we know better. We know, looking back, that this fourth person is one we know as Emmanuel, as God with us. Understand this, here's the beauty of it. This was not the New Testament. This was not Acts. This was not Ephesians. This was not even Revelation. This is Daniel. This is the Old Testament, yet... Here Jesus is. Why? Because he is the eternal one. He is the eternal one and he will always be there and has always been there for his own. In the words of James Montgomery Boyce, he said this, It's not difficult to know who that fourth person was. He was Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate form. Perhaps the form he had when he appeared to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or in which he wrestled with Jacob beside the brook of Jabbok. It is a vivid portrayal, get this, of the fact that God stands with his people in their troubles. Let me say it again. God stands with his people in their troubles. But understand this. Before the Lord delivered these men out of the fire, he chose to be with them in the fire. Which is a reminder that God does not always deliver us from our troubles but he remains active in our troubles nonetheless. The, we, the reason we can have confidence while in the furnace, while in the, the fire, is because we trust the power of God's presence. Knowing that God is with us gives us confidence. It gives us joy. It gives us hope. And God ultimately, in this picture, showed that his desire was not to rescue them from the fire. His desire was to rescue them in the fire, through the fire. And just imagine the amazement that is revealed to these men step by step. Here's what we forget. We know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not sat in a Sunday school classroom and told how their story was going to go. They, they, they didn't have that. They didn't have the flannel board saying, okay, here, guys, here's the, here's the game plan. Here's what's going to happen. They had none of that. So they're led into a furnace. They're bound. They're thrown in. I can just imagine they, they have great faith. But there had to be a sense in which their eyes were closed and they were wondering what was going to happen. And they hit the bottom of the furnace and they open their eyes and the ropes are burned. Then all of a sudden, they're doing the same thing King Nebi's doing outside. They're going, one, two, three, four. And they're saying, hey guys, weren't just three of us thrown in? What's going on? They begin to walk around and here's the picture. A fourth man was there with them, meaning God has not promised to spare us from trials, but God has promised, hear this, to be with us every step of the way during every trial, Amen. during every 
difficulty, when the Lord carries us through adversities, whether through miraculous means or even through ordinary means, his presence with us, his presence for us will be undeniable. God has not promised to spare us from the fire. God has promised to be with us in the fire, which leads to the last truth, which is this. God will draw us to Jesus through the fire. God will draw us to Jesus through the fire. This whole picture is one about a God who, who isn't, it's not a picture of a God who's distant, watching over his followers, wondering what's going to happen. You know, the picture sometimes we think is that God is surprised by what's going on and that God's up in heaven going, oh, oh, what's going to happen there? Oh, didn't see that coming. That is not the picture we see in Scripture. The gospel is not a picture of a distant, far-off, aloof God. The picture that the gospel gives us is of a God who entered into our world to stand with us and ultimately to die with us. To die with us. And get this, don't miss this. While Jesus died on the cross, no one stood with him. While Jesus went through the fire, no one walked with him. No one. And then think about this. Listen to this promise in Isaiah 43.2. It's an amazing promise. You see it on the screen. I love this promise because it says this. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. What a powerful, powerful promise. But don't miss this. That promise has been true for every child of God and for every situation except for one. It was not true for the Son of God at the cross. For at the cross, every wave of God's fury and wrath absolutely crashed upon the sun and the fire burned and jesus all he could say was my god my god where are you at why have you forsaken me and don't miss this brothers and sisters because jesus went through it alone we will never have to because he went through it alone we will never ever have to Therefore, when we suffer rightly, and please understand what that means. So when we suffer rightly, meaning when we trust God completely, even though we don't know why things are happening the way they are, even though we don't understand why God is doing what he is doing, when we respond rightly, we are drawn closer to the one who suffered greatly on our behalf. And notice, don't miss this. Jesus did not manifest himself to these three men until they were in the fire. It wasn't until they were in the fire that Jesus said, I'm here. I am here. It was at the very moment they needed him most. Brothers and sisters, has that not been our experience? That in the fires of life, we've experienced the presence of Christ more powerfully? You know, so often, here's what I know. We can sometimes go through days, if not weeks, and sometimes months without any consciousness of the Lord's presence with us. You know, we can walk through life. As we said on uh, uh, my devotion on Friday, the Bible says great is God's faithfulness. Sometimes God is so faithful that it becomes boring. Right? We get bored sometimes because God is just so faithful. And so we have no consciousness when things are going good in our lives. But when troubles come, 
And when the flames begin to burn hot around us or when life crumbles from under us, then we discover that Jesus has been with us the entire time. We, we, we understand it is in the fires of life that we experience the presence of Christ more powerfully. When Jesus, in Matthew 28, when Jesus said, I am with you always, he didn't say, I'm with you always, except for when you go through this. Or I'm, I'm with you always, except for when you choose to do stupid stuff. Or I'm with you always, except when you're just going to be stubborn and sinful. No, I'm with you always. And Jesus chooses by his grace to make himself most known when we are walking through the most difficult times in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, it's because we're looking for him more than we ever have. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because we recognize that we need him more than we've ever needed him before. Brothers and sisters, are you walking through a furnace today? Are you walking through difficulty in your life today? If you are, be encouraged you are not alone. Now, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're saying, that doesn't apply to me, I pray to God you will listen because your furnace could come tomorrow or it could come next week. And oh to God that we would have his word and have allegiance in our heart for him no matter what happens. Let me close with the words of Pastor Tim Keller. And I love this. He said this, a furnace is, with, is when something important to you is taken away. You're going to go into some kind of furnace, and who do you want to go in with? What idea of God do you want to have? Then he said this, Only if you know he was thrown in the furnace for you, will you then feel him walking in the furnace with you. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. The one who was thrown into the furnace for us is the one who is walking in the furnace with us. And let, let me say something very, very um, carefully because I didn't plan on saying this. And so I might get myself in trouble and I had to watch what I said and the way I said it at the last service. So I won't do it as, um, as nicely this time. But we live in a world, even as Christians, where if we are not careful, there is a ton of crap that is being slung from the pulpits. And people are being taught that if you come to Jesus, you'll never have difficulties, you'll never have problems, you'll, um, the Holy Spirit will sprinkle magic pixie dust on you, and you will fly above all the difficulties of this life. And the problem with that is, number one, it's not true. And number two, the second we believe it and something bad happens in, two, in our life or enters our life, our faith in that God is shaken. And here's the deal. God never promised us that we wouldn't walk through difficulty. Jesus walked through difficulty. What God promised is this. We'll never walk through difficulty alone. We'll never walk through it alone. That is our promise, brothers and sisters. Listen, walking by yourself through beauty, what we think is amazing fields, what we think is carefree life, is nothing, is nothing compared to walking through difficulty with him. With him, we will always, in every difficulty, in every situation, will have him. He will never leave us or forsake us. I ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to call the musicians forward. And let's enter into this time of invitation and consecration and whatever it is the Lord is saying to us. So, Father, we come before you. And, Lord, we thank you for this amazing 
picture that we see of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their allegiance to you, their predetermined response in the midst of fire, in the midst of being forced to worship something, not you, is that, Lord, they will only worship you. They will only be obedient to you. They will not bow the knee to any other, regardless of what fire comes in their lives. And Lord, again, Father, you have not promised us carefree lives. You've not promised us lives free from the furnace. But, oh God, you have promised that you will never leave us alone in them. We'll never be alone. Oh God, thank you for your presence. Father, I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you, that today would be a day of salvation for them. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God, I pray for that brother and sister today who's walking through the fire. And Lord, the problem is sometimes, God, the fire is so hot and it's so hurtful. Things are so bad that all we can see is the fire. All we can feel is the heat. All we can see is the difficulty. And we miss the fact, God, that you're with us. So, Lord, even today, God, for that brother and sister, open their eyes to see and to know, Lord, that you are with them. You've not left them, God. You've not forsaken them. And, Lord, you will not. Lord, help us, God, to understand in the midst of this world, ultimately, Lord, we have you. And we get you. We get you now, and we get you forever. Lord, speak into our lives. Do a work in us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.